everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is Dusted, your tacky, fear demon taunting Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> podcast. This week, to celebrate the month long festival of Halloween, <laughs> at least a month long, yes, I would yes. say, now, we are watching Fear Itself Season 4. Episode 4 of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, written by David Fury, directed by Tucker Gates. Yes. Possibly the most journeyman of all the journeyman directors well, that we've talked about this in Buffy. guy, I think, has like a, an achievement that he's after. And video game nerds will get what I'm talking about with that. Because he just seriously has directed like one of everything. <laughs> Occasionally he'll do two or three, sometimes as many as ten. But usually it's just like one and gone, one and gone. He's just knocking them all off his bingo card, I think. Yeah. There's one episode of Buffy, one episode of Angel. Yes. In you course directed a handful of episodes of lost there have sure. been some csis in sure. there weeds yeah, alias. A few shows that you would recognize if, if you watched a television show in the 90s or 2000s he directed one of them i'd like to go through and track his episodes to see if they are all as effects heavy yeah and as stagey yeah as this episode is because he might be secretly the go-to guy when you're doing he practical might be effects the work. guy he might be the guy that you might call. be his reputation sure. yeah we'll keep track of that when we get to angel and of course written by david fury this is david fury's fifth script in the buffy verse his mm-hmm. fourth buffy script after go fish mm-hmm. which was famously terrible yeah. helpless which was famously complicated and choices which at least had potential sure this is of a piece with those episodes i think mm-hmm. and i'm still kind of looking forward to the day when i get to say this this is what i'm talking about with david fury right yeah. because those mm-hmm. episodes will show up and they'll show up not too far in the future yeah. from mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. and he is one of my favorite buffy writers this kind of feels like helpless and like choices in that it feels as though there's maybe 10 minutes of really great material yeah. anchoring this episode but it takes him a while to kind of wander his way through the corn maze to get there. And we have yeah. to have a lot of scaffolding put mm-hmm. in place to hold up that core idea. And you're right. God, it just takes us a long while. To it get does. There. And we end up in a lot of places that are dead ends. We turn around, we go back, and we find our way through. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I actually have a great deal of affection for David Fury, but I feel like. Writing is hard, and I think when you start on a show, it takes a while for you to, you know, find your feet. You've got to get a few episodes under you before you really kind of feel how the show works. So I think that maybe we can, you know, we can cut him a little bit of slack. We certainly can. And <laughs> we I should. like David Fury. And there yeah. will be times when we get to season seven when we are fating, yes. fating David mm-hmm. Fury's work alongside the other great writers of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This, notably, before we get into our beat by beat this week, this sure. notably is the last episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer to air without a vampire in it. We've seen non-vampire episodes of Buffy in the past. They're rare, Uh but they are there. This is the last one. From this point on, every single episode of Buffy will have some vampire or other. A, a vampire presence it. of some sort. Sure. Yes. Interesting. I was not aware of that. <laughs> so this is a great day. This is a threshold. There you that we go. Have, we have yeah. Let's get into our breakdown here. Previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know, Parker and Anya and relationship troubles. What the <laughs> French would call le liaison catastrophe. <laughs> they probably wouldn't call it that. I don't speak French, but for some reason, that seems like the right direction okay. to go. I like the way you say that. <laughs> sure. We open with the Scoobies happily carving pumpkins for Halloween save Buffy, of course, who is suffering the sadness in the wake of Parker's betrayal. Mm-hmm. And I would like it noted for the record that once again, yes. I wrote in my notes a joke 
which Oz then repeated mere moments later. Aww. I had the post-Parker depression joke, oh, yeah. which I worried about because I thought maybe that's a little tasteless. But here it, it is. is. It's a little tasteless, but not so tasteless that we wouldn't include it in the podcast. Yeah. I have a very high threshold for that stuff. <laughs> Buffy is still somewhat maudlin. Yeah. Somewhat depressed, somewhat yeah. bummed out after the events of Parker. And I guess we just have to accept that. I wasn't comfortable yeah. last week with her still when it being was immediate, when here it was we are that, a week yeah. later. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I'm with you now. Like last week, <laughs> last week I was like, all right, it just happened. It triggered her abandonment issues. Okay, great. You know, it triggered her whole angel experience, which was traumatic. And I completely understand well, that. I think a you're absolutely later, right. Yeah. I think you actually softened this for me a little mm-hmm. bit by drawing that connection back to Angel. Because yeah. we never mentioned Angel in the course of this episode. Right. Mm-hmm. He's a presence for those of us who have been watching the show very carefully. Exactly. If you just watched this episode, you would never know that Buffy had a boyfriend called Angel. Called Angel. Yeah. And I think that that's, I mean, I, I, I'm a big fan of subtlety. Don't get me wrong. You know, and and an oblique reference that would make us call back to Angel. Yeah. Seeing so that Parker, we would understand that Parker is not, she's not mourning Parker for Parker's sake. She's mourning Angel in a way that she shut herself down to. And I think that that actually makes the whole Parker storyline a little more interesting. But we don't get any of that. I mean, that is complete headcanon. We don't get any no. hint of that in the text. I Which is think. strange because when we're hitting Buffy's, yeah. you know, abandonment issues right. this powerfully, you'd think we would name check the list. You'd think we'd have Parker and Angel and yes, even Scott Hope. Sure. And her father. You'd sure. think that we'd build that right. in, but mm-hmm. we don't. So we're left with a story that leans very heavily on Parker to motivate Buffy's current as though you know, that's state. as though Parker is in any way worthy. I mean, as soon as Buffy realizes that he completely lied and manipulated her, mm-hmm. um, I think that that's the moment where she should be like, "Well, you know, that's it." Uh, oh, you know, realizing what a jerk he was, but yet she's she's moping over this guy. And I gotta say, out of all the Buffies that I've seen, Mopey Buffy is my least favorite. Um, it's not her at her oh, best, yes. and By I don't mind it for, for one week. Last week, I'm like, all right, you know, and I had to I had to pull pull in the angel head cannon. All right, but this week it's a bit much. Parker is yeah. not worthy of this. We don't normally blur the timeline like this. Yeah. But this week's episode really did emphasize some of my problems with last week's episode, notably Maudlin Buffy and Mm. the false conflict between Anya and Xander. Yeah. Because now a week later, Anya can show up in Xander's basement and say, hey, you know that whole conflict that led to the great, you know, scene at the end of last week's episode? That wasn't a thing, right? And Xander (laughs) says, no, it wasn't a thing at all. Let's just go on with our relationship as we were always going to. Yeah. (laughs) No, I bought it last week, though. But I mean, that's the thing. Like, it's a week later. You pick up, you move on, you talk about it directly and there you go um but yeah no anya last week i also liked anya quite a bit last week this week anya wears on me a little bit Mm. so i'm sort of i'm sort of on your team with anya this week but only because she just wasn't really given anything to do and she was played for very flat jokes and we have a lot this is the flat joke episode of buffy where we're just we are going for that this is the problem it's flat in general whether we're playing comedy or drama it's flat until it suddenly isn't and it gets brilliant for like 10 minutes yeah yeah Uh let's get to that as quickly as we possibly can shall we xander has made a beginner's mistake with his videotape rental but that is okay because everyone's going to the really cool frat party at alpha delta instead how many frat parties do you have to go to before you just chalk it up a bad idea exactly (laughs) we don't have a good track record here at all buffy makes her excuses and leaves and the others agree they all want to smack parker which for the record 
would be a 44 minute episode that I could get behind. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Just a 44 minute <laughs> so montage slapping of every character and and you know guest extra that we've sure. ever had in Buffy mm-hmm. lining up just to smack Parker at the side of his head. <laughs> out on the streets, a demon jumps out in front of Buffy and she punches it, only to learn that it was a demon mask beneath which was a teenager. Buffy is not herself. Okay, I have to talk about this a little bit. Okay, I okay. have to say first off, yes. Really weak line to lead us into the credits. <laughs> That's what I want to know. Right. Not not awesome. Exactly. But that doesn't matter because you were giddy and squeeing. No, I've had a whole I've had a whole series of reactions to this. Okay. <laughs> one, okay, you don't put on a demon mask and jump out in front of a girl walking alone on a street. That's stupid. So you shouldn't have done that. You deserve to get hit. Two, when Buffy hits a demon or a vampire, like it hurts and knocks them down. When she hits a teenage kid, he's going to get decapitated. So like she like really believe, must have been holding back in that moment. Sure, and maybe the the mask itself took some of the blow there. Uh, the, <laughs> maybe, maybe like the, the mask giant was latex made of something mask. very yeah. very yes. Um it but, almost looks like they got it from the prop department of a network TV it show. Almost it almost looks like they did. Um <laughs> but the other thing, the last thing, which the is most completely extra te- yes, absolutely, completely extra textual, but anybody who loves leverage, that's Baby Hardison. <laughs> that's, that's Aldous Hardison. Yes, who I adore and is possibly one of my favorite things about Leverage, which is a show that I have a lot of favorite things with. So, um, yeah, I I saw his name at the end of the credits and then went back and looked at it again. And his voice is so high and he's so skinny. And oh, my God, he's adorable. Yeah, it was a bold choice casting a fetus for that role. Casting a fetus for that Um, role to be smacked by Buffy. No, he's adorable and I love him. And if you haven't been watching Leverage, highly recommended. Go just start. It's fantastic. Or just wait for our inevitable leverage inevitable podcast. leverage podcast, which we will have someday. Some fine day. <laughs> we move through the credits and emerge at UC Sunnydale. Willow is enthused about her studies of magic. Oz is sweet and supportive, which makes the appearance of Parker in the cafeteria all the worse. Buffy leaves and Willow gives chase. Buffy's not up for the frat boy party and she's not up for meeting someone. And as we learn when we cut to Giles's apartment, she's also not up for ethnically themed festive outfits. Okay, yes. I have to say something about this. Please do. I love Tweed Giles. I love, <laughs> love sweater, sweater Giles. Giles. Sombrero Giles is fun for a moment, but Sweater Giles is still number one. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous Sombrero Giles is something like... In an episode where we have fewer kind of ridiculous jokes, this might not have bugged me so much. But something about I like Sweater Giles in that he's he's kind of struggling with his identity, but he still like has dignity. Giles as the straight man. Yeah. Around whom the world is confusing. Is zany and, and, and crazy, insane. sure. That works. Right. Having Buffy be the straight man to Giles to Giles's increasing yes. lunacy is a weird choice. Yeah, specifically the sombrero is, and it undercuts who he is. And also, there are no kids. Like we see throughout the entire episode, there this are no the kids in his apartment complex because it feels at the beginning like he's putting together a party. Yes, but apparently it's not because later he's when Anya just there stops by, by himself he's eating just, the candy alone, which is just the saddest thing. Which you're is also, see. I'm, I'm sorry, but if Giles is going to sit in his apartment doing anything alone, it's going to be drinking scotch and listening to old '70s albums. There you go. That's what he's going to do. And he's not going to sit there with and eat Joyce. candy. Yes. 
Well, okay. I'm not even going to go there. We'll talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> Buffy doesn't show up at his house on Halloween, actually. Only Anya does. Yeah. So it would have been great. There's no reason yes. why Joyce couldn't have been there, too. And should have been. There would have been some, some connective tissue there. Yes. Yeah, I don't want to be, you know, mm-hmm. grinchy mm-hmm. about it, but it, it just doesn't work. No. And Anthony Head is doing his best together. with the material no, that he's got. Anthony but. Head is a professional, and the man will take whatever you give him and do the best that is possible to be done with it. But I just don't think that this is the kind of thing. This is the kind of thing where we're like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if we had Giles in a sombrero with little, you know, fringe on it and everything. And yeah, sure, that's kind of funny, but it's not it's not steeped in character it's and not that's more than that the humor that buffy does yeah. best yeah it turns out that ethan rain's costume misadventures back in season two were anomalous and the forces of evil generally avoid halloween for reasons of good taste so buffy has no excuse for missing mm-hmm. the party at the Alpha Delta frat house, preparations are underway for the party, which we learn to our infinite surprise may not be about celebrating our shared cultural heritage, but more about seducing college girls. No. They're going to call Oz for help with the sound system. Oh, and here's an ominous mystical symbol to paint on the floor. Sure. Because these kids are new to Sunnydale. Exactly. <laughs> well, no, they're from all over the country. People come to UC Sunnydale for its fabulous sure. demonology program. You would think so, what does, right? What does UC Sunnydale draw people in for? Well, apparently it's uh, apparently psychology. Apparently, apparently Professor Walsh is the only one with any <laughs> kind of academic weight at draw. all. Sure. We cut from party prep to Xander's basement where Anya appears. We learn, firstly, that Uncle Rory is a big fan of peppermint schnapps. Yes. A little world building for those nice of us who are Uncle detail. Rory fans. Sure. Anya has been suffering since their estrangement last week for no reason. And now we're ready to move on to an actual date, perhaps at a frat house party. Oh, and she'll need a costume. Mm-hmm. Buffy makes it to her psychology class late to ask for the class assignments. Professor Walsh warns her to shape up. Riley gives her the assignments anyway, along with a pep talk. She should go and have some fun and not take things so seriously. Exactly. No, but first he says, well, you know, you got to get your stuff together and get things done and do the work. And she's like, no, I'm going to do it tonight. And he's like, it's Halloween. What I didn't not? mean on Halloween. Mixed signal Riley. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I like Riley, though. No, Riley in this scene did not bother me. Decent, decent yeah, scene. Yeah. He's... He doesn't have a point in the story, but... There's something weird about his his actual physical presence. Something weird about Mark Lucas's actual physical presence Uh in the scene. He seems like he's too big. And he seems like he's awkward. And he seems like he's trying to make himself appear smaller. Well, Sarah Michelle Gellar is a tiny, tiny person anyway. I mean, <laughs> you know, she makes pretty much everybody look big. Um, but yeah, there is something about his his physical presence. Like he is just, and he's not like, you know, big in a fat way, but he's like big and like this guy goes to the gym. Like yeah, this guy yeah. is a wall, you know, and he does seem to have that like incredibly big presence. Yes, in coupled the space. with an awkwardness that I think is all the more conspicuous because of the contrast with Parker, yeah. who as mm-hmm. awful as Parker is, that performance was great. Yeah, the actor's really good. Exactly. Mm-hmm the right level of real genuine you know mm-hmm. down to the bone confidence sure. in the role and i feel as though riley's not there mm-hmm. with and, and perhaps isn't going for right that right. kind yeah. of confidence mm-hmm. but it, it does feel like a slightly awkward interaction but yeah. i like him well enough i guess i don't mind him at all in this scene how? like he doesn't <laughs> he, he doesn't have a, a place in the story this week really but you know yeah yeah in the attic of the frat house meanwhile oz and xander deliver the new upgraded sound system and step over the mystical symbol painted on the floor without a second thought because why would you be concerned about such things oz cuts himself <laughs> for really no good reason then shakes out his hand for really no good reason and triggers the mystical rune because 
we need it for the third act. Exactly. Well, first of all, this whole scene is really flatly written. There isn't yeah. any any sense of of life in this oh, scene. Oh, okay, with one sole exception. Okay. Mikasio es Sukasio. Yes. Is maybe one of the best lines in all of Buffy. In all in all of Buffy. That is a great pun. I would I would not even say it's the best line in this episode As a of fan Buffy. Of the pun form. That is an excellent pun. And I it's also you know, you I don't particularly it. care for the way that David Fury writes Buffy and I yeah. don't care for the way that David Fury writes Willow, uh-huh. particularly this new Willow. Yeah. I really like the way that David Fury writes Oz. Yes. He's got a strong <laughs> handle on Oz. Yes. That that communicates the right kind of Mm-hmm. cool hipster detachment yes but mm-hmm. doesn't reduce it to you know the kind of monosyllabic interactions that we've seen from some other writers sure that's a direction you can go mm-hmm. with oz but i like the idea that there's just a lot more happening under the surface there is there oz. is a lot more with oz and i do and like the way that david fury writes oz mikasio but... Sukasio is pretty great sure sure i'll grant you that line is okay in <laughs> everything the else in the scene everything else in the scene is kind of Terrible. dead it's dead and it's heavy and it's and in and, and oz first of all is walking around with a, a little knife for you know slicing uh um, well, wires, wires and, stuff. and cabling no that's, which, that's no which like let's face it he walks around with that knife and slices wires and cables because this is what he does all the time and he's a werewolf so he's careful about his blood and about his like i mean i don't believe for a moment that he is so careless with this stuff that he would just slice his thumb open then on top of it slice his thumb open and shake it all about like he's doing the hokey pokey instead of just trying to like nobody with blood gushing out of a wound shakes their hand about to purposely splatter it all over the place this is what we were talking about earlier, I think, mm-hmm. about the scaffolding that we have to put up exactly. to make the core concept this of this episode work. Right. It really is. And it's scaffolding done in the least engaged way possible. Yeah. The beat of, you know, Oz wants to shorten the wire. He hears the short in the speaker. He yes. wants to shorten the wire. He pulls the knife. We get a close-up of the knife. He goes behind the speaker. Xander says, hey, don't cut yourself playing with knives. And yada, he yada, cuts yada. himself. He cuts yeah. himself. He shakes it out. It hits the mystical rune. It ripples out. We get the spider. Or We're done. It's as obvious and as right. flat and a means so much, of getting us where we need to be to as we can to get blood have. on it have one of the stupid yeah. frat boys just drop some blood on it or something like that accidentally that's all we need we don't need all of this setup and all of this scaffolding for that simple plot moment or they were using real blood they sure. went to one of the many sure. sunnydale butchers that sell exactly. blood in iv bags yes and mm-hmm. they wanted real blood to do you know some yeah, silly creep goofy people Halloween out. Game yeah, sure. with. Uh-huh. so it's pig's blood and they drop a little on the symbol and that and that's what you need exactly there something there are a to get million where you need to go. very much simpler ways that you could get that done um yeah Buffy, meanwhile, is visiting with Joyce, who I was very glad to see. I was glad to see Joyce, too. I forgot that I liked her. Joyce is making some changes to Buffy's little red riding hood riding hood. Buffy is maudlin about Parker anyway, but talking about Hank isn't going to improve her mood. Sure. Joyce knows what she's talking about and has a greater wisdom. When she came to Sunnydale, she was afraid. Now she has a circle of friends and a life. There's nothing to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. I like this a lot for Joyce. I like this not at all for Buffy. And not at all for this story because we're spending sure. all of this time dealing with Buffy's maudlin abandonment issues. Well, yes. Okay, but if we're going to make those abandonment issues into 
the core of Buffy's, you know, emotional identity yeah. in Act 3, then we need to build them up because it's not an authentic part of who Buffy is at this point in her life. I think and we've that's seen cool. enough of it to know but that, like... I'm constantly yeah. frustrated by Buffy's reaction to and response to her father mm-hmm. as though her parents splitting up was a personal tragedy that was aimed at her. Right. And mm-hmm. Joyce doesn't have any kind of, of dog in the fight at all. Like, <laughs> Joyce doesn't have anything at stake. Well, I mean, when you're a kid, I think that you don't think about you know, how this stuff affects your parents. You think about how it affects you, and right, I understand that to a certain degree. Buffy's not a kid anymore. Buffy is she's getting older. Yeah, she's in college, and this is about the time where you start to realize that your parents are people too. Um, but yeah, like, I, I understand Buffy's abandonment issues with her dad, and I understand the, you know, thing with Angel triggering that, and I understand the thing with Parker triggering Angel. Um, but all of it, it feels like we're going through so much movement to show Buffy being afraid of her own isolation, when in fact... Yeah. We are, this is always about Buffy's isolation. Everything in Buffy the Vampire Slayer has always been about how Buffy is kind of alone, even among yeah. her friends and among her crowd. And I don't think that we need this much time to establish this as a fear for her. And we sure as hell don't need Parker to establish no, that. We managed to directly address the core thematic aspect of this in like 30 seconds. In mm-hmm. the third act, sure. when Buffy sends the others out to get help mm-hmm. while she faces the danger. Yeah. That is the reason that Buffy is alone. Mm-hmm. Because one girl in all the world. Sure. That's why. Yeah. It's not about Parker or about Angel. Those are aspects of this. Yes. Right. And certainly Those are I completely buy Parker triggering yes. something deeper. Mm-hmm. But Parker is the problem in this episode. We are treating it as though Parker matters and Parker doesn't. Exactly. Parker is a trigger and that's all he is. Um, but we're not really referencing that. But I feel like I feel like this episode or this uh, scene with Joyce is more scaffolding to hold this up yeah. that we don't need and that are just taking up time. As much as I like seeing Joyce and this was a very nice Joyce to see, um, it's unnecessary. Yeah. yeah. Sad Buffy is the least likable the least impressive it's the least it's the least engaging buffy sure Mm -hmm. in her dorm room willow was talking on the phone with oz while dressing in her plastic chainmail joan of arc costume she heads out of the dorm and we kind of follow her down the corridor yeah as we see this group of people in various costumes the lobster having the argument with the girl dressed as a gift and so on the skeleton with the old timey cell phone which was very cute i don't no, why are why we, we spending have that? all this time on this? I fully expected that these characters would occur at the we party. We would see them later. Yeah. That they would have some kind of significance because we spend so much time watching them while we're following Willow down but this way. And nothing's it's, happening in that it's scene. It's a flat. It's just for the joke. It's the joke that we have a skeleton on a cell phone. It's a joke that we have a lobster having a fight with his girlfriend. That's the joke. And it's flat and it doesn't yeah. really do anything. And it does not earn its space in this episode. From there, we cut to the frat house party proper where a girl named Rachel is being seduced by the time-honored romantic technique of the gross out Mm -hmm. except that these peeled grapes aren't peeled grapes any longer buffy waits outside the party in her red riding hood outfit though i guess they then walk to the party Mm -hmm. what looks like a block so she's actually just waiting out in the street yes a block from where the party is taking place let's meet you a block away from the sure because we want to have the talk and walk yes well i guess this was 1999 sure so aaron sorkin was at the height of his powers sure everyone is talking about everybody's talking and walking yeah (laughs) xander shows up dressed in a tux willow is accustomed to being burned at the stake oz went all out with the name tag (laughs) they're on their way to the party when they cross paths with some familiar looking commando guys 
Nice costumes, fellas. And so here we have, you know, the commando guys popping up. They're like, hey, how are you? They move on. And they actually, it's a foreshadowing, but it actually has like a natural organic spot in the story. More natural, more organic. More than usual, sure. (laughs) It's not tacked on the way that it usually is, yeah. It isn't. I I mean, we're only four episodes deep into season four, so I'm not as bothered by the foreshadowing and and the the building of ominous mystery I feel around like there's these a clumsiness to the yeah, the, it's not the well commando done. foreshadowing that just it, that just kind of bugs me this season I know? can understand mm-hmm. that um usually too I think it's because we're introduced to our big bad and then we right. explore said big bad we have the master showing up and he's already the master we and know then who we're, he is yeah we're not right. building a mystery we're building a threat right. and even once spike shows up in mm-hmm. Sunnydale we're not building his mystery we're building his relationship We're getting Mm -hmm. actual storytelling. Here, we're just getting echoes of this same beat. There are what is this question? Yeah, Yeah. it's it's over and over again asking the same question. It's like, all right, fine, I get it. There's something weird going on, but you know, I've seen this before, so I am with you. Inside the party, meanwhile, pandemonium has broken out. The strobe lighting is on overload. Everyone is screaming and running and crying. Josh trips and falls down the stairs, dead. The Scoobies, meanwhile, enter the haunted house portion of the party and are unimpressed, at least until Willow is startled by cobwebs, which is such a great callback to yeah. season one, to, mm-hmm. to Nightmares. Yes. We have mm-hmm. the whole exchange in Nightmares about how Willow is freaked out by spiders. Yes. And then to do that again here. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, have we addressed Willow's arachnophobia between then and now? I don't think so. I'm not sure it's ever come up. I don't think so. Even yeah. times when you might think it would come up when the yeah. mayor has the box full of spider sure. demons, for example. Sure, that might be a thing. But mm-hmm. to the best of my recollection, we haven't mentioned it since Nightmares. Yeah. And it's really nice to see it referenced mm-hmm. here. And and referenced in a really casual and organic fashion. Sure. Mm-hmm. Works for me. Xander gets jump scared and then a real life hairy spider crawls on Willow's shoulder. Something here isn't right. A suspicion confirmed by real blood on the floor and real bats on the ceiling. Well... Real until they're rubber. Okay, bats aren't funny. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Now bats are not funny. No, I understand. You know, this stuff is all fun and games until you trip your actual phobia. (laughs) So Willow's having a great time until it's spiders. You're having a great time until it's bats. Yes, I'm having a great time until I realize that I've just spent thirty minutes of my TV show building framework. (laughs) For, for a third something act. that is not going to pay off, yes. <laughs> Anya, meanwhile, yes. is a bunny. Mm-hmm. That's the joke. Yep. There is no door in the frat house, and when a girl cries at the second floor window, bricks suddenly appear, and Anya realizes something is up. Inside, the Scoobies are getting disoriented. There is a hissing sound, but Buffy doesn't seem to be paying attention to Xander. They find Chaz locked in a closet, and he warns them that it is alive. The knife-wielding skeleton from earlier attacks Buffy, stabbing her through her cloak, and she responds by kicking it so hard she turns it plastic. Oh, right. That is a vital skill if you're going to be a slayer. (laughs) Buffy then dispatches the Scoobies to find their way out while she takes a crossbow from her basket. Giles is sitting alone eating candy when Anya appears at the door. He jumps immediately to the correct conclusion and begins gathering supplies. Willow and Buffy, meanwhile, are arguing about who is in charge and who may or may not be a sidekick. Willow wants to cast a spell to guide them out, but the others are reluctant. Willow storms off, and Xander offers counsel, but Buffy can't see him. 
It's like he's invisible. <laughs> and contrary to what he said back in season one in Out of Mind, Out of Sight, he doesn't immediately head off to the girls' locker room. Okay, granted, that's not an option. Character growth sure. is one explanation. Sure. You're right. The fact that Sunnydale High blew up sure. is, another is another explanation. Is another reason, yes. Willow and Oz manage to find the stairs, but Oz is changing into where Oz Willow tries to comfort him, but he lashes out, drawing blood from the back of her hand and runs off. And by this point, we are in it. By yep. this point, the episode has just come together. Yes, this is finally 30 minutes in. Yeah. We finally get what we're here to do. The moment that it works for me, I think, is the first hint yeah. that Xander is that Xander's invisible. invisible. Absolutely. When we're dealing with his his invisibility and yeah. these things. I mean, that actually is kind of cool. Yes, we sort of already did this in Nightmares, but I think that this is actually a more interesting application of this than Nightmares. A, you know, fear demon that oh. makes your fears manifest. And our characters are just adults yeah, now. Yeah, it's a different perspective you know? on it. I love Oz having something at stake. It isn't until we have a moment where Oz is freaked out that I realize that Oz is always the calm rational guy in the background and that he never has like a real vulnerability yeah. show up um, very very rarely we haven't seen him vulnerable I think since Beauty and the Beasts when mm -hmm. he thinks he may have killed somebody um, since then he's always just kind of there as a support person for Willow and to be you know kind of ironic and funny um, but I actually like it when he's got a, a real fear something at stake for him so it was kind of fun to see that too no really great mm -hmm. and, and Seth Green of course does a yes. great deal with the character. Mm -hmm. This was, I think, part of Seth Green's dissatisfaction with Oz sure. in season four, yeah. the end of season three. Mm -hmm. He felt, I think, a little constrained and frustrated as an actor because that he was called upon to basically do variations do. Yeah. of the same thing. Mm -hmm. But here he's getting a lot more to do and it really and it's works. Good. Yeah. And it speaks to a much more, a surprisingly, in fact, sophisticated take on these characters. We yeah. really understand what drives them, what motivates them, mm -hmm. what is is urgent and pressing for them. And yeah, and that's it's a really amazing. interesting concept. And this part of being in this house where they're separated from each other and dealing with their fears, yeah. I actually quite like that. Xander checks his reflection, making sure that he's still visible, if only to himself, while Oz tries to calm himself down in a bathtub. Buffy hunts alone, and Willow settles down to cast the guiding spell. A little light appears, but when Willow hesitates, it splits in two. A moment of indecision later, and she is surrounded by some upset fireflies. Some really mean fireflies. That is just fantastic writing. It's a writing. really nice thing. Yeah, I like that. Buffy is all about science fiction, fantasy mm -hmm. in general. You know, speculative fiction is all about externalizing the metaphor. Absolutely. To represent mm -hmm. in the external world what we're going through in our own internal world. Mm -hmm. This is one of the most deft and capable expressions mm -hmm. of that. Yeah. Externalizing Willow's combination of power and insecurity, mm -hmm. power and, you know, indecision, and turning that into the little firefly cloud yeah. is, it's beautiful, beautiful mm -hmm. work. And this is what I'm talking about. This is why I'm so frustrated. With this the is first, where it gets good. I mean, yeah. the first 20 minutes of this episode are completely fallow. Yeah. You know, then you get really the ramp up mm -hmm. to where we're going. By the time we've hit this point, it's just really good. Yeah. Very impressive piece of work. Buffy hears Willow crying out and goes to find her, but the house is tricksy and full of sudden drops. Buffy tumbles into the cellar, which includes the frat boy's impressive collection of wine racks. Josh, <laughs> broken neck and all, taunts Buffy that she isn't alone anymore, as zombies burst from the basement floor to grab at her. Okay, <laughs> I have to tell you, mm -hmm. 
in this moment, I actually have in my notes, I'm so bored by this that I'm digging the architecture and brickwork in the basement. That basement is awesome. <laughs> that basement is awesome. Were you bored by this point? When, when Buffy's being chased by things coming, I don't know. At this point, like, I really liked the way they um, they externalized, you know, Xander and, and Willow, Oz and, and Willow and yeah. all of their fears. Buffy's Zombies. maudlin fear is not yeah. a thing that really, yeah, it just honestly did not did not i think externalize as well as the other ones did and we've spent so much time with her kind of examining this fear that it wasn't an interesting take on yeah. it yeah no i you completely know? agree mm-hmm. i think you're absolutely right outside anya frets while giles applies the subtle magical arts of a chainsaw to create a door buffy fights and manages to escape back into the house proper the guests are cowering and whimpering including willow and oz who are fine and xander who isn't but is at least visible They find the symbol on the floor and the book that it came from. This is a summoning ritual for a being called Gaknar. It's all about fear. Sure. Enter Giles with chainsaw and Anya with bunny suit. Giles reads from the book, but a mistimed dramatic pause leads to Buffy smashing the symbol and calling forth the demon immediately, which is tiny. This Mm -hmm. is really the conclusion to our episode, you guys. It really is. Buffy stamps on the demon. We cut to Giles' apartment where the Scoobies are eating Halloween candy. Xander questions Anya about her costume. Giles reveals the inscription beneath the picture of Gaknar is Gaelic for actual size. Uh-huh. Oh boy. No, this is the thing. We finally get something interesting. We spend the first 30 minutes building up something that doesn't really matter. Then we go into 10 minutes of something interesting. And then we wimp out on it in the end and we create, you know, this demon who is four inches tall would have been killed thousands of years ago. There's no reason okay. why this demon would exist this long or cause this much trouble. I really dislike the ending of the episode. Yeah. But. Giving this show the benefit of the doubt, giving David Fury the benefit of the doubt, I think there might be a metaphor being drawn here. I think the metaphor might be this. All the way through the episode, Mm -hmm. Gaknar is this brooding, demonic, malevolent presence, and the walls are being pounded on, and this voice is roaring to be released, and it feels big and malevolent and terrifying. Right. And then he's tiny, and isn't that the way with... Fear? Well, you know, this fear, the they say, stands for false evidence appearing real, um, which is never one of my <laughs> favorite things. But uh, here's the thing. Like, the metaphor itself, I don't really have that much of a problem with, but they play it off as a joke. And it becomes really oh, flat. And in a moment, as, literally a flat. Jokes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for me, like, in that moment, because it is so easily and so trivially overcome, um, it doesn't seem to me, it doesn't feel to me like it has the emotional weight that you need to have. Things need to be hard. Things need to be difficult. Well, and if they had, if they each had to struggle with seeing it for what it really is, with with dealing with their actual fears and then seeing that the demon was just this little tiny thing, maybe if they had right. to actually overcome their own fears to get to that point. But they aren't. They're just put in this thing and then suddenly he's three inches tall and they just stand Well, no, on him. Buffy's the only one that overcame her fear. and well, Overcame it by doing the thing that Buffy does, by fighting and yeah. running. Mm-hmm. Oz didn't overcome his fear. He just outlasted it. And the same mm-hmm. is true of Willow and the same is true of Xander. They yeah. didn't conquer anything. Right. They just ended up in this it room. It just stopped. And there's right. a nod toward the idea that Gaknar led them there, mm-hmm. but their presence in that room doesn't seem to be in any way vital because here's the thing. Once they reach that room, they're not still afraid. Right. So the fact that this ritual is feeding on fear 
seems but to be counterproductive. But everybody else is curled up in the fetal position and still afraid. Why are they why? not afraid? Well, but they're not why Scoobies. We Giles don't know that they're still in the throes of their fear. Giles and Anya have absolutely well, okay. no vulnerability to this because You're of the chainsaw? Because right. of, yeah. But that, I think, is an entirely different... Mm-hmm. That's an entirely different problem with the episode. Yeah. Uh, you're entirely right. Why are we not delving into Giles's twisted psyche? Right. Why are we not, you know, looking at right. his fears? Why are we not looking at Anya's fears and by and God finding some way to humanize to this do. character? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. We're going to skip over that because we don't have time because mm-hmm. we spent half an hour Wasting, setting up just what this episode was going to be. With stuff that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Nominally, there was something in the metaphor that I like. Yeah. I can see and appreciate the idea that when you confront fear, it turns mm-hmm. out to be something yeah tiny something trivial to overcome sure we make ourselves you know mm-hmm. more afraid than anything in the external world but it's just i like that as a metaphor but not dumb. a joke yeah yeah well mm-hmm. the problem is too that we, we build this series of jokes because yeah. we have buffy breaking the sigil because giles takes this incredibly and mistimed giles, when she starts reaching for it would say no, no 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 because he obviously has read the rest of the sentence right except he also has a watch and can see that we only have a minute and exactly. a half left in the episode mm-hmm. so he's like oh okay just summon the damn thing let's right. get it over mm-hmm. and done with so we have that joke then we have the summoning joke and then we have buffy stepping on it and there's something uncomfortable about buffy stepping on it mm-hmm. for me there's something uncomfortable about her squishing it like yeah. it's a bug yeah I think there's something in this distinction between slaying and killing. Mm -hmm. That like slaying is a duty. Right. But killing is just the mindless application of violence. Mm -hmm. And that's always something that that I find interesting in Buffy. Like the textual difference between those two things. Whether we're exploring it explicitly as we did throughout season three Mm -hmm. in the death of Alan. Or we're exploring it subtextually as I feel we may be doing here. Sure. Except Mm -hmm. we're obviously not because it's obviously just a joke. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just No, it's meant to be just a joke. And I mean, granted this, you know, uh, we are presuming that Josh, the, the kid who fell down the stairs, is actually dead. So that means that this demon has killed things and needs to be dealt with but at the moment doesn't really present a you know i mean he could go yeah. in the rat cage with amy and hang it's out, another you know? one yeah. of these it's another one of these stories where we conclude it very tidily mm-hmm. right when really the buffy verse itself the fabric of this world that we've created that we've spent the last three and a bit years inside mm-hmm. That world urges us to look for a more complicated and considered solution. Yeah. And usually that would be banish the demon. Right. Don't or squish the demon. Exactly. Or overcome the demon in a way yeah. that, you know, that releases all of the exactly. cowering kids that are actually in this. Like, and we see Josh feeding, get to his feet and we see the girl growing with the blood on her face. And feeding yeah. on their fear. And Buffy manages to get everybody to face their fears and get over it or in some way. And by that, through that method, depriving it of its life force and then that kind of thing then that actually makes sense and metaphorically it has some weight but this is all just about the joke and once again there are 30 things we could do sure that Mm -hmm. are better than the thing that we do frustrating yeah Yeah. but almost worth it for the 10 minutes because the 10 minutes really is no those are good it's a really it's a an episode with it's an idea with a tremendous amount of potential that is is pretty much just squandered Let's look at the 
Scooby's Halloween costumes. Sure. Because I think there might be some interesting stuff in there. I like Xander's James Bond costume, mm-hmm. not because James Bond is cool and suave or any of those things, but because Xander is leaning upon Xander's most important survival skill, yes. which is genre awareness. Yes. <laughs> He's the only one that's thinking, well, right. if the same thing that happened before happens again, I actually want to be prepared These for These are the skills time. that I want to have. I want to be James Bond. Right? Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. If that had happened, mm-hmm. and if they had once again become their costumes, we would be in trouble because mm-hmm. of Oz. <laughs> Granting Oz, Oz unlimited power, yes. mm-hmm. I think the world would be a lot cooler than yes. it is right now. <laughs> well, he's ironic hipster god, though, yeah. with the hello, my name is sticker, which I think is a very cute little costume, yeah. And I like Willow's costume, too. There's not a great deal of thought or, I think, theme no, in that, yeah. though we do get the call out to Gingerbread. Yes, and the idea that she they was, were both you know, almost burned, burned at the almost stake, burned at right. The stake, mm-hmm. right? And the close relationship with God is a nice sure. nod and sets up the joke sets reveal the joke for, for Oz, Oz. really sure. beautifully. Mm-hmm. The one that strikes me, though, is Buffy. Mm-hmm. Because Red Riding Hood yeah. is not a nothing character. No. Red Riding Hood is not a random, you know, fairy tale character. It's mm-hmm. not as though we had Buffy in a Cinderella dress or something right. like that. Yeah. Red Riding Hood is about something very specific. <laughs> Red Riding Hood is about the sudden emergence of violence and sexuality mm-hmm. in the life of a teenage girl. Yes. It's about going into dark places and being changed by those dark mm-hmm. places. It is about, yes, blood and sex and the beast within. Yeah. I find it really interesting that Buffy, particularly because within the span of the episode, mm-hmm. it seems to be suggesting that Buffy gets this costume because it's the costume she wore back when she was 12. Sure. It was a much more innocent time and she's trying perhaps to reclaim sure. something. Mm-hmm. But I think that in Buffy's specific circumstance, having just been ruined by her, you know, right. teenage sexual escapades, and it is directly kind of a reference to what happened with Angel when she lost her virginity with Angel. Sure. He turned literally into a monster. Yeah. Um, so what's what's interesting to me about this is that based on the way that the the episode does not really reference that, I think this was like an absent-minded coincidence. I think that it was just, oh, you know, the red cape will be cool. I don't feel like we've utilized that metaphor. And the thing is, is that Little Red Riding Hood, I mean, that is what it's about. That's what it's always been about. So when you when you co-opt Little Red Riding Hood as, you know, imagery in your story, you are bringing with it all of those cultural you know associations and i feel like this is something where he's like nope nope just a cigar you know it's just you know yeah because you would expect given that we already have oz in this episode you would expect if we're talking about you know the bestial aspects of sex and of violence Mm -hmm. and of of maturity and adulthood and the scary Mm -hmm. world in the woods right beyond the path there is just darkness if we're going to address that we have all the material that we need, mm-hmm. and there's no reason not to. But it's just, it's completely ignored. And I think it's because, honestly, they just picked yeah. an outfit. I think that's all they did. Also, I think that Buffy coming in as Little Red Riding Hood while going to a party with a werewolf seems to me like something where you'd be like, you know what, maybe I'll do something else. Because I don't know if that's going to make <laughs> yeah. Oz feel uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, because, you know, just a little sure. a little Xander should have dressed up as the woodsman. Sure. And then we could have just really, you know, yeah, could have gone the whole anti-wolf way. agenda. Right, exactly. It's interesting, though, I think that if you're willing to give it any kind of, of, of credit as being mm-hmm. thematically significant, I do think it's interesting that Buffy, even here and now, casts herself as 
the innocent. Yeah. She casts mm-hmm. herself as, you know, the girl, mm-hmm. not the woman. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, I feel inclined to believe that there's something of depth and significance there. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's also possible that I'm just making it up. I think that there's I think that it is it is something that has a lot of cultural association that has a heavy cultural association, which was used sort of carelessly. You perhaps, know, and and I feel so, like because yeah. you're l- really looking for the symbolic, you know, um, representation there, and it's just not there. I don't think it was deliberate. I think they wanted him to have her to have a basket full of. I think they wanted the joke. <laughs> so you've got a <laughs> what's in your basket there, Pretty little girl? Joke. Weapons. I think yeah. that they wanted the joke. Yeah, and and it's almost worth it just for that. Joke. That's a, it's a good joke. Yeah. <laughs> Let's look to our list of every Buffy episode ever and see where we'll put this. I think as a starting point for the discussion. Yeah. We can clearly look to season two, episode six, Halloween. Sure. Our previous Halloween outing. We're going to actually have three Halloween episodes in the run of Buffy, mm-hmm. and it's it's alternate seasons. Yes. So mm-hmm. season two, season four, and then we'll have another Halloween episode in, in season, season six, six right. to look forward mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. So is this episode better or worse than? Halloween. Is this episode better or worse than <laughs> Halloween? I don't think it's as good as Halloween. Really? I don't think it's as good as Halloween. Yeah. Um, it's Halloween tough because had it's an episode a focus. of yeah. two parts, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that when this episode works, those 10 minutes are really good. Yeah. Unfortunately, they're not connected to either the beginning or the end of the episode, which feel very different. They feel much lighter. This feels like a first draft. This is like writing to get to your, and and those of you out there who are writers, you'll understand this. Sometimes, especially if you're a a pantser, you start writing and then eventually you get led to where your story is. And at that point, you cut all the stuff you wrote before because that was just what you had to put in there in order to get, and once you know, exactly, once you get where you're going, then you work with that material. And this feels like something that was that we're including all of the discovery material that leads up to that um that i don't think really necessarily needs to be in here and i feel like halloween had more um it had more focus it understood what it was doing it told its story i think efficiently i don't know when i think of the list i look at i look at dead man's party homecoming halloween those Mm -hmm. kinds of episodes because i can see they're episodes that gesture toward the metaphor yeah but don't don't quite get there right Mm -hmm. as is often the case though i think i'm inclined to see the best in the episode and Mm -hmm. judge it on its strengths rather than its weaknesses so i think you're right as an episode of television i don't think it holds up i don't think it has the Mm -hmm. invention or the 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 swiftness there's there's a a kind of joyful rapidity Mm -hmm. to halloween we just bounce through that episode there's an energy to it Mm -hmm. that is all but entirely well, absent here. Well, there's a focus here. to it. It knows what it's doing. I don't feel like Fear itself knew what it was doing until it got too late and for some reason didn't go back and edit it. Sure. Um, I think when I think of this show or this episode, I think of Nightmares. The one in yeah. the last well, episode we did where we faced everybody's worst fears. Buffy becomes a vampire and uh, Xander's have, chased by a clown. You know, We have around number 40 on our list, a run of season one episodes, the puppet show Nightmares, which out of mind, out of sight, the pack never kill a boy. Yes. Those are all right up against each other. Do you think it belongs somewhere in that pack? Is this a season one episode? I feel like it belongs in that arena. I feel like it doesn't know exactly what it's doing. It sort of accidentally yeah. trips across some really good material and then it squanders it. It's better than Nightmares, I think. I think it's better than Nightmares. But I could see putting it between the puppet show and Nightmares. 
I can see definitely don't doing that. dislike yeah. the puppet show as much as you do. No, I didn't dislike the puppet show okay. as much on the. Uh, I used to hate the puppet show. It was like <laughs> because again, once again, let's go to Muppets. This the, sure, I have a sure, thing sure, with sure. that. I hate that. Um, but actually, when we rewatched it, I quite liked the puppet show a lot more than I remembered. And I think that, yeah, I would probably put this above the puppet show, but below Gingerbread. I think, that sounds good to me. I think I would put it there. I would watch Gingerbread again before watching this. Yeah. I think I might even put it above Gingerbread and mm-hmm. put it right under Welcome to the Hellmouth mm-hmm. and the Harvest. Yeah. Certainly in that it's, area. I'm it, in you know, that arena. A lot of connection yeah. with mm-hmm. Gingerbread, though, because sure. here we're playing with some really weighty and interesting and evocative ideas. A lot of potential. And giving them yeah. almost no actual consideration mm-hmm. in the telling of the story. Yeah. So I, I like that it's ended up there. Mm-hmm. No, I think I'm going to fight for this. I think it goes in above gingerbread. Okay. You know what? Because I'll give it to you. Because I think that sure. when this episode slips, mm-hmm. it just, it's it's dull yeah. and a little hollow. Mm-hmm. When gingerbread slips, it's actually yeah. catastrophic for the Buffyverse. I yeah. mean, it really threatens our understanding of how this world works at all. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to argue that this episode goes in right under Welcome to the Helmets. What do you say? I'll, I'll go with you. Sure. Absolutely. All right. Fear itself, number 39 on our list of every Buffy episode ever. I wish I could have been kinder to it. I wish I could have liked it more. I really wanted to. Um, And there are a lot of things that I did enjoy in this episode. Um, You know, I, I... And some of the jokes are kind of funny, even though they're flat. There's a couple of things that are kind of funny, but I don't know. I gotta say, we're going to be facing this for about the next, the next two weeks, maybe two and a half weeks, because we're entering something, I think, of a fallow period. And oftentimes when I've predicted that the Mm -hmm. next couple of episodes are going to be tough to watch, I've actually really enjoyed them. But I can say with a certain amount of confidence, we're looking at I Fall to Pieces from Angel on Friday. Mm -hmm. Then next Monday, we're looking at Beer Bad. A famously bad episode. Famously bad, yeah. And then on a week Thursday, the follow-up Angel episode is Room with a View, Mm -hmm. written by Jane Espenson, of course, but it is an episode which I have always disliked profoundly. It's actually, I don't dislike that one so much. I've always kind of liked that one a little bit. Um, Not a lot, but a little bit. Everything picks up. Yeah, no, we pick up after that. So it's going to be a rough couple of weeks here on Dusted. Hang on, strap yourselves in. Everything's going to be okay. Yeah, for what it's worth, I think that these two weeks are, are kind of the reason that Buffy Season 4 has has gotten the reputation, has the bad that, it reputation has. that it has. I think what happened with Buffy season four, and we'll see as we as we move through, but I think that it starts off at something of a stumble and people were worried about it anyway because we're moving out of the high school space. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that there were a couple of things that combined to uh, to make Buffy season four as as kind of universally reviled as it yeah. was. I'm not sure that's entirely earned. I think we've got some real high points coming. Yes. I think that we also have to get through Wild at Heart, which I, I won't spoil anything about Wild at Heart at this point. Not a favorite. Except to say, I know it's not a favorite. I think at least it has some interesting stuff. Sure. Even if it's not successful. We'll see when we get there. It's going to be interesting interestingly to talk wrong-headed. about. But by the time we hit the initiative and then we're into pangs, sure. there's good stuff ahead. Oh, there's great stuff coming. So stick with us over the course of the next couple of weeks when we don't like Buffy as much as we <laughs> wish that we did. That is it for this week, though. We will be back, as I said, on Thursday with Season 1, Episode 4 of Angel, I Fall to Pieces. Mm-hmm. We'll see you then. Guys, thanks so much for listening. I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is Dusted. Dusted.